So let's start off with prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here because your word says where two or more are gathered, and we are a few more than that tonight, your spirit is amongst us. And so we rely on that tonight to anoint this preaching as it goes out, all to the glory of Christ, and that you would give each person listening both online and in this building tonight ears to hear and hearts to do. Thank you for the worship tonight. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in the name of Jesus Christ and in his person we pray. Amen. Amen. Hello, Calvary Chapel Old Town. Just wanted to give you an update video from this past week. It's uh, early in the morning. The sun's just coming up uh, here in Kenya in Kakuma. And uh, we've had a busy week of ministry uh, here at Spoken Word. Obviously, we've had much construction going on and uh, taking care of a lot of different projects around here. Of course, early in the week, we uh, were working with all of the missionaries uh, for the missionary conference and uh, sitting with them, teaching Bible stories, and then also teaching them how to use the flannel and things like that. And then at the end of the conference, we got them all together and uh, broke them into their groups of areas that they, the Lord had put on their heart to reach. I am from Kalobie. The camp of Kalobie is called a settlement where the Turkana and the refugees live together. We, are, we have uh, about 40 to 50,000 people living in that camp. And our plan is every week, when we will go every week, we will be showing Jesus, Jesus and God's uh, story. Uh, we, of course, we have four groups. Uh, every week, we will be putting a, a film show and then also every week we will be doing evangelism. We will be telling Bible stories. This is, this will be, that means four times per month and in three months, 12 times. After that, uh, we also uh, went and visited some oral Bible schools. Uh, the oral Bible schools all just started in January and they've started a journey of learning 296 stories of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and so currently all of the oral Bible schools are in Genesis so we met with them and we discussed some of the stories they were learning and went a little bit deeper into the stories with them uh, as a result we even had people come to the Lord Jesus Christ through those meetings and then I had the privilege yesterday of going with the team to the radio station uh, the, the Spoken Word Ministry team uh, teaches four different Bible stories a week on radio. Uh, one day will be Turkana, then Swahili, Arabic, and finally English. And so Saturday, yesterday was English, and uh, I got to be the uh, presenter of the story, and we did Psalm 1. Across the street from the Spoken Word Ministry is the slaughterhouse. And the slaughterhouse is where all the Turkana people bring their herds to sell off their sheep, their goats, their cows, their camels for food. We said, let's go over there for lunch, but we invited the people who were there to come hear a story. And I had the privilege of sharing the storm story, Jesus in the storm, Jesus rebuking the storm and saying, peace, be still. 
and as a result of that, God harvested souls. I was saying most of our people here in Turkana, most of them have really never heard about it. And only those close to towns. You're Turkana, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Turkana. But uh, most of your people have not heard. Most people have never, never heard, really. Most people have never heard. They are pastolites, so they move from place to place with their animals. Unless someone goes and, and reach them from where they are. Well, Lord willing, I will be with you next week in person. God bless you, and thank you so much for the prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Well, we are now live, and uh, there's a game. I think you guys have heard. There's, there's some kind of, a, I think it's a baseball game going on tonight. And um, it really does speak into uh, our message tonight, uh, small things and big things. And it comes out of... 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 23. So if you brought your Bibles, and I hope you, uh, you did, uh, let's take a look at that together. We're going to read from uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through 23. And it says, The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we can dwell. And so he answered, Okay, let's do that. Go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And Elisha said, okay, I'll go. And so he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And so he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Verse 8, now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, beware, don't go there, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants, and he said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom, for goodness sakes. So that's not part in there. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dotham. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, Alas, O my master, what shall we do? So he said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. And so when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was that when he had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. I can imagine this moment. It's great. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, uh, he said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? 
But he answered, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and they ate and they drank, and he sent them away to their master. So the bands of Syria raiders came no more into the land of Israel. So we have two stories here, and uh, I made the mistake of looking at commentaries uh, that had something to say about this. Now, after I had prayed and after I would studied, then I made the mistake. So I did at least pray and study first. And in the commentaries, almost to a single one, uh, they all were a bit confused over what does an axe falling in water? Because you can see at that verse break there uh, where we get to the part of uh, where we're done with the axe and we're going on to the king of Syria being upset that seemingly there was a spy in his group, right? There seems to be a break there. But there isn't. There is not a break there. It makes perfect continued sense. We are dealing with small things of faith and we are dealing with large things of faith. Now, Benny and I were joking about this uh, football game that's going on today. And the pregame commentators started yesterday, pregame talking about hours and hours about nothing. And we were joking that they were going to talk about the shape of footballs and the first football that was ever made because ad nauseum it seemed that they had covered everything that you could ever talk about a football. And I turned my radio on as I left church this morning, and they were talking about the colors. And there was a commentary literally going on. If you had already thought of the stupidest thing you could go on about, they were talking about that uh, one team's colors was blue and gold and the advantages and disadvantages and popularity of blue and gold. And the Bengals' colors of... uh, orange and black, and the pros and cons of orange and black. And I thought, well, I thought Benny and I had made quite a joke of everything already, but sure enough, they find something even dumber to talk about football. Not actually the game itself. You know, they had a pregame show this afternoon, and there'll be postgame shows that will go on forever and ever. And you know, one of the things they said is they're going to play football today, and somebody's going to win, and somebody's going to lose. But that habit of talking about or being involved with minor things or large things, is what occupies all of us. So it's not just the football commentators or fans. It's you and I as well. So we have this story here about a group of uh, young prophets, the word says, right? And they're the sons of the prophets. And it's very clear in the scripture here that Elisha is, well, it's a training school for for prophets. So young prophets are the, the sons of the prophets, And they're being trained by the greatest prophet, arguably, in all the Bible. Scripture tells us that Elisha did approximately double everything that Elijah, his predecessor, did. And so he was a mighty man of God. And who to train you but to be a prophet, but the greatest of all the prophets? Can you imagine? Imagine getting into that school. Imagine if you or your child was admitted into the academy of Elisha. Wow, that would be amazing. And so they decided the house they're living in, maybe the dorms, kind of sounds like dorms, were too tiny. You got a bunch of young men, we don't know how many, and they need a bigger place. So they decide that there's lots of trees growing down by the river. Let's go cut down some trees, build a new place. Sounds like the kind of thing that great men of God might do. So they go down there, and uh, one of them had borrowed an axe in order to do the work. Not uncommon with what you might do today. All you guys in in the building here, you probably, every guy's borrowed a tool here and there, haven't you? And then, you, should I ask you, did you return the tool? Because I've got a couple of tools missing. I think 
Maybe some of you didn't return my... But it's not an axe, right? And if you've ever used an axe very much, you'll know that it's very important that that axe head stay tight, right? And I have, I've chopped down a, a total of one tree in my life, and it was, it was a big eucalyptus tree, and that's a hardwood. And having done that, I switched over to chainsaws. So it's, it's hard work cutting down a tree. And in the process of this, the axe head came loose. Now, in the commentaries, they tell us all these things these spiritual insights to an axe head and water and sticks and stuff. And this chapter has nothing. And if you look at it that way, it seems to have no connection whatsoever to the following verses where we are involved in a much seemingly more important situation. But it's really the same thing. It's a small thing of faith. And um, uh, I think all of us here, in fact, I'm sure of it, at least I know I'm guilty. There's been times in my life when a small thing seemingly nothing to take a large amount of faith, has just crippled me, has just broken me, right? I mean, we have that prophet saying, alas, O Master, right? You can feel the tension. I mean, you might hear a sound effect that if, if, you, if the axe head fell off, you'd go, alas, my Master, what will we do? And then there would be this... Yeah, it would be, if you were watching a cartoon, it would be something like that. Now... Haven't you done that? You're out on the freeway, and all of a sudden the car starts going bumpity-bumpity, and you got a flat tire in the middle of nowhere, and you know you forgot to put in the spare, and you might go, alas, old car, what will we do? And you're stuck, you know. Or you've lost your cell phone, or something fairly minor, and yet it seems to have crippled your faith, right? That's happened to all of us. So you do wonder... uh, about the faith, but he's not chided by Elijah for that. He is, works him through it. It is those little things of, of faith that Elijah is working through and that God is working through for you and I to build you up to those larger moments because those larger moments you will have. If you're very old, if you have reached many years here and you have a belly button, I used to tell the kids when I teach the kids, if you have the belly button, this is true for you. And the kids would actually check to see if they have a belly button. I see some of you are checking. Well, The fact is, if you go through many years, there will be times when that larger thing will come. God bless you. And God has been building you through these years to be ready for that bigger thing so that you don't go, alas, oh, Master. We've seen, I've seen, you've seen people who get to those moments and they come to that point where they wonder if God is even really God, if he even loves them. And those are the genuine, deepest, darkest moments of your faith and of mine. I've gone through those moments, and I know some of you are here today. Maybe today you had some small moment, like the loss of a cell phone or a flat tire. It could be. And maybe some of you recently, in fact, I know you have, faced something much larger. In fact, I'm going to pause right here and right now, and I want all of you just to raise a hand and, and point it toward the back of the church where... Uh, Bethany and Lucan are sitting, and we're just going to pray over our, for our dear sister and brother. Heavenly Father, we hold Lucan and Bethany up to you right now, and they're going through one of those bigger times. It's not a floating axe, but it's much more large, and it's much more painful. And so during this time, Lord, we just want to shed your love on them. We pray your Holy Spirit right now to wrap your arms around Bethany and Lucan, as he supports his bride. Strengthen them, encourage them, and just hold them tight to your breast. We love them so much, and we know you love them more. 
We know you knew this day would come. And we know you're ready to comfort them. Bless them and help them, we pray, and heal in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's much more than a floating axe. Now, um, I want to bring you to another scripture. And um, this is where we fell apart as men and women of God. And it starts right off in the beginning of scripture. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And in that scripture, if uh, you would bring that up, please. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. We get what's right and what's true and what's wrong and what's not true completely wrong as human beings. We think we know stuff and we act on that. And that's where we will always fail in our faith. We don't know nothing. That's not good English, but it's still true when it comes to the things of God. And we gave it up right here. This is where it all went backwards on us. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say that? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. And on. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you will eat of it, and your eyes will be opened, liar, and you will be like God, liar, knowing good and evil, liar. Close there. You see, that's where we thought we became smart in the garden, and it was passed on to generation after generation to this day. And what was the result of that? We'll go all the way to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and it tells us what is really true. All that, that the, does it surprise you that the devil lies? And yet how often we take the hook on that, right? And this is the result of that. Now, Jesus is speaking to one of the churches here, but it's also true of you and I. Where'd it go? There it is. Because you will say, and do we not? I am rich. I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And I, and uh, do not know that you are, but do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? You see, because of the serpent, because of that, we became just miserable, wretched, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, I counsel you, counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may truly see. You see, we think we know. We think we see, but we're really wretched, poor, blind, and naked because of what happened in the garden. So we think we know stuff. We think that an ax is the end of our lives. And yet Elisha said, hang in there. It's going to be okay. So we come to Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. And in this verse, we're talking about Israel. Israel is attempting to rebuild the temple, and the work has not been going well. Their faith, they're tired. Anybody here can bear witness to that? Two years of being shut in your house, watching reruns of I Love Lucy and eating uh, macaroons. Some of you have grown a lot during this time, and I don't mean in the Lord, if you know what I mean, right? Are you tired? Do you, are you just worn out from this craziness that's been going on? Well, that happened to God's people in the rebuilding of the temple. And the, and the work had slowed really virtually to a stop, and there's discouragement. And so Zechariah 4.10, you have to kind of understand that. 
Now, this verse is, is, is quoted all the time, but it's not often quoted in context. So he says, For who has despised the day of small things? You've heard this scripture before. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord who scan to and fro throughout the earth, through the whole earth. Now, he tells them to take a plumb line, right? And you're going to use that plumb line. Does anybody here know what a plumb line is? Raise your hand if you do. So if you're a contractor, you know Jason knows too. Uh, now, a plumb line is kind of an old school tool, but it's basically a lead weight that kind of comes to a point. You may have seen one somewhere and hung from a string. And, it's ver- and as a contractor, we occasionally use them, but we have lasers and stuff now that we use for establishing verticals. You need to establish a vertical. Did you know that in your house, the walls are not plumb and square? Because a bunch of knuckleheads threw the drywall up just as fast as they could because they won the cheapest bid. That's why you, when you put up tile or wallpaper on the wall, you notice that the pattern goes off at an angle and you got it on right, but it looks like it's on crooked because your wall's not straight. That's why. So as a contractor, I come uh, in to do rebuild homes and sometimes build a home from scratch. We have to make sure that those walls and floor are plumb and true. We're just finished a house right now that has no bearing on this, this uh, Bible study at all where the, the floor is not plumb. It's nine inches out of level, a big house. And it's a full nine inches out of level. So we had to come in with jacks and jack up the house and get it level and then pump concrete under there. But the point is that the rubble holding up this plumb line. He said, this is, by the way, what you do at the beginning of construction. And the Lord is promising them that it will be done. I know you're discouraged right now. I know your axe uh, came disconnected and that you owe it to somebody and you're kind of busted and in trouble or you've lost your cell phone or you've lost something much worse than a cell phone. I get that. But to God, these two things are equal. There's no small faith in Jesus Christ, and there's no large faith. A small faith, if you were to say, would imply that something of God can be small. Can it be? Of course not. All things of God are equal in size, and they're all magnificent and amazing, right? And there's no difficult or hard things for God. Does God have to stress or sweat to achieve a certain thing? Did he do that in the creation of the world when he threw the heavens into space? No, it's all the same. So whether it be an axe head for you, and if you're young in your faith, whether you're old or young or new in your faith, whether whatever age you may be, God wants to bring you through those small things that the prophets went through. Oh, alas, oh God, dun, 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 I lost an axe, an axe head. Or the bigger things, and our story goes on to take, talk about that. Well, what's our encouragement? With, with Zerubbabel, the encouragement was, listen, this is my work. God's work is never stopped. God's work never fails. It's not dependent on you. That's one of the many ways we go wrong as men and women of Jesus Christ. We think this depends on us. Well, Lord, I'm tired. Okay, fine. I knew that too. You know, God is sovereign. You know what that means? He knew you were tired before you knew you were tired. He knew that you were going to face obstacles. He knew how your heart might break. He knows all of that in advance, and he's there with the plumb line to finish the job. Now, a plumb line may seem small, just as the accent is small, because as a contractor, I use that at the beginning of the, of the project to establish that the foundation is straight and level, because if I build on a crooked foundation, the whole building will lean on the side. And then you go into the record books as a big knucklehead of having built a bad building. We don't want that. And God's buildings never do that, do they? So there are no mistakes. Well, it looks like a mistake, I know, but it's not. Philippians 1.6, you are a work of God, right? 
You and I are works of God. Philippians 1, 6 says, be confident. Now remember, Zerubbabel, the people were discouraged. They're trying to complete the work. Everything's a mess. Their country's been destroyed, right? It's pretty depressing. A lot of people have been depressed through this COVID thing. And God is still in control. Did you know God's in control of COVID too? He is. Even governments that hate him, he's in control. Being confident of this very thing that, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's our confidence. God's got the plumb line. He's going to finish the work no matter what. No matter what. In between now and then, are there going to be some scars and some hurts? Yes. But to the degree that you and I trust the builder, we'll come through it. We'll come through it. Well, there's a story about Jesus that kind of reminds me of the story of these young prophets. And it comes from the woman of the well. You all know the story. It's John chapter 4, verse 39. And in this, Jesus has the young, if you will, prophets at his side, the 12 apostles. And they go out of their way to go to this place called uh, Samaria, where there's a Samaritan woman. Now, this is kind of amazing. And the prophet, or the apostles, I should say, are shocked that Jesus is doing this. Can we go to that scripture? And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me everything I ever did. So you know the story. I don't have to go through the whole story. But do you notice he doesn't heal anybody in this encounter with the Samaritan woman, right? Well, at least not physically. And he doesn't feed 5,000 people. And yet we have this, this story in scripture that is an amazing thing that God did. But it seems like, why are we doing this? I mean, uh, prophets, teachers, Jewish teachers never spoke with women. They, the Samaritans were despised. If a Samaritan and a Jew were walking down the street, the Jew would walk out of the way to make sure that the Samaritans, uh, even uh, their shadow did not pass over them. That's how despised they were. And a man never talked to a woman. So what's this with a woman? Well, he went into this village and the power of this little testimony to this woman changed this whole Samaritan village. That's what it did. Just as your testimony and my testimony is supposed to change people that we see. These prophets in training were being taught an exercise of faith, just like you and I are. Well, we go on to the rest of the story, and seemingly halfway through the story here, we have another instance. And it's the instance uh, where we have the king of Samaria. Now, it's an interesting kind of historical thing. Uh, that Samaria and Israel had been at war for a long time. And they continued, even though at the end of the scripture here, he says, and they, they raided Israel no more. Well, they didn't raid Israel anymore during that king's reign. But as soon as that king passed on, they continued through king after king. And, and it went on, well, it stopped at some point. Do you think? No. Just last week, uh, Israel and, and uh, Syria exchanged blows. Just as, as little as a week, it might have been today, I didn't check the news, but as recently as a week ago, they were ex- exchanging fire. So those countries are still at war to this day. And Syria has become a staging point for Iran to send in through weaponry and fighters and attack Israel. You know, um, last week with Benny, he talked about uh, Naaman and, uh, and how a seemingly small little girl had such a big impact on a country. And we have Naaman, and he's a powerful general, a wonderful, good man, we hear. 
and an excellent general. And we have, uh, we have Syria. It's a powerful country. And we have the king of Israel. And we have all these players. But note there's one little player in there, a little axe floating on the water, if you will, a little servant girl who in one of the raids from Syria had been captured and taken as captive and then given to Naaman's household as a little helper girl for Naaman's wife. So you could see how insignificant is that, right? Such a small thing. Well, she became a treasured helper to Naaman's wife. And you know how wives are. Wives talk and advise their husbands, as is a blessing, as they should, right? And so she's talking about this amazing prophet in Israel called Elisha, that he can heal you. That was last week, right? Well, here in this story, we have something I think kind of similar in that, in the last verses of this section, we have the king of Syria all paranoid because he thinks someone is ratting on him. He's got a spy in, it in their midst. So um, he sends, he, he asks his, his helpers, is indeed there a spy amongst them? And they said, no, that's not what's happening. What's happening is this Elijah guy tells the, his king what you say in your bedroom. Well, that's kind of freaky. So he knows everything about you. There are no secrets. Now, you'd think that would have made an impact, and it did. It made enough of an impact that he gets this huge army, and he surrounds Dotham, where Elisha's house is. <laughs> and, um, I mean, did you not hear the first part uh, that he knows what's said in your bedroom? Do you not think he's going to send? Did he know about that, too? I guess he just didn't connect the things together. So the next morning, you know, his servant opens the curtains, and there's this army surrounding his house. And I'm certain that he had to change his tunic after that visual. First thing in the morning, seeing that there's literally thousands of horsemen and chariots surrounding. There's no hope. There's no way out. Are you facing that? We want to put skin on this. These aren't just nice stories. Are you facing that? I know I have, and I'm confident you have too. Some of you I know very personally have. I'm surrounded. There's no way out of this. I'm hopeless. It's all done. I might as well die. I might as well give up. Well, around 1977, I want to say, a movie came out called Star Wars. And um, I have great fond memories of that movie. It was the biggest movie of its kind. You're going to wonder why this relates, and I'll tell you why in just a second. And uh, they didn't have multiplexes back then. It was basically maybe two screens. And my oldest son, Matthew, and I stood in line for hours to see that movie. And when we got through the door... It's into our seats. That theme song started. You remember the theme song, right? I'm not going to mess it up. You're going to hear it in just a second. And in this scene from the movie, uh, Billy D. Williams is in it, which, by the way, I had the pleasure of meeting some years later. And he's a great guy, a real kind, sweet gentleman. That's not always true when you meet movie stars. So my son and I finally got in there, and there's this scene in the movie that we're going to put up right now And listen to the, I'm sure that whoever wrote this line had read this story about Sirius surrounding the the prophet Elisha's house. When Elisha says, there's more protecting us than there are with them. Watch this scene. It's really great. My friends, I'm sorry. I thought we had a shot. There's just too many of them. Well, there are more of us, Poe. There are more of us. 
Yes! There you go. Well, that must have been how, and it's almost a quote from Scripture. Isn't that amazing? But it almost is exact quote from Scripture. When Elijah's servant opened the curtains that morning and saw that, and Elijah prays, open their eyes. Open their eyes that they can see what's really true. As I said earlier, that knowledge that we lost early in Scripture when we were in the garden, And we made that stupid trade-off to think we know what is good and evil. Brothers and sisters, you don't. You don't know. And until we recognize that we're poor, wretched, blind, and naked, we don't get that Holy Spirit indwelling in us to get the corrected eyes. We need to have our eyes corrected. When you face trials, and it may be something small, like you lost your cell phone, or your tire went flat, or you can't pay your rent, Or it might be something more serious, like the doctor's report came back positive. Or a child is gone. That's much bigger. God is working to change our faith, to make it bigger and bigger and bigger, step by step, just like he did with the young prophets and the the axe. Oh, my God, the axe, the axe, they said. Open your eyes that you may see. There are more for you. And just as I love to show these clips because it seems so real, and if you were there, I think 1977, with my oldest son, Matthew Jacob Spain, we just enjoyed that movie so much. And I felt honored to be there. But as brothers and sisters, as Christians, we must have those same kind of eyes to see that there's more for us than against us. There's more power for you than against you. And it might be a small thing that you can do. You might say, well, I, uh, I can't do great things. I'm no Billy Graham, people will say, right? But you don't know what your small thing may do. I want to read you a story, and we'll conclude with this story. And it's a story about uh, small things. And you fit into this story somewhere. In, 19, in 1858, there's this Sunday school teacher uh, by Mr. Kimball. And uh, he's taught a small Sunday school class, seemingly insignificant. And later we learned that he never felt like he did very good. He didn't see any visual evidence of his success. But here, as the story used to say, is the rest of the story. He prayed with one of his students who was a shoe salesman. That salesman's name was Dwight L. Moody. He then accepted Christ as his Savior and went to become a great evangelist. In 1879, Moody shared the good news with another young man by the name of F.B. Meyer. This man accepted Christ. This young man became zealous for preaching the good news, and while preaching on an American college campus, F.B. Meyer brought another student, J. Wilbur Chapman, to Christ as well. Chapman later employed an ex-baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to do evangelistic work. Billy Sunday was one of the greatest Christian preachers of the early 1900s. You may have heard of him. Once after Billy Sunday preached in Charlotte, North Carolina, a group of local businessmen were so enthusiastic, they decided to bring another man, Mordecai Ham, to preach. And during Ham's revival, another young man by the name of Billy Graham, 
yielded his life to Christ. Billy Graham has since preached to countless millions of people who have been saved by his meetings. Do you think you don't matter today? Well, Mr. Kimball in 1858 thought he didn't matter. We have brothers and sisters in this cry, in this church, who pray all the time. In fact, Billy Graham shared a story of one of his evangelistic crusades where a young, or I'm sorry, an older woman came up to him after the service and said, you know what, I follow you to all your crusades. But she'd never gone into a crusade. You see, what she did with her limited funds is she rented a hotel room nearby, and during the entire crusade, all she did was be on her knees to pray for the success of that crusade, that many would come to Christ. And Billy later said, I think that's the reason I'm successful. It's certainly not because I'm a great preacher. Well, maybe you feel you can't do anything. You can teach a Sunday school class. You can pray, can't you? Uh, God bless her. Cheryl Lynn prays all the time. She walks what little she can still walk down to the beach. And every time she meets somebody, they're going to hear about Jesus Christ. You can do that. You're healthy, right? Dottie, Dottie and Roger, blessed brother and sister. Dottie prays for everybody in this church all the time. She can do that. So can you. So here's the reminder and here's the takeaway, brothers and sisters, tonight. There are no small things in Jesus Christ. But don't miss them. Don't let it go by. It's a golden moment. Golden moments will come into your life. They've come into mine. That moment when despite everything you can see with your eyes, you're going to reach out and you're just going to try. Just try. That person in the store, that small thing you could do that you think is nothing, God does not have small things. And he wants to do big things through you and I to his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight that is always faithful and true. We thank you that what a blessing it is to gather in brothers and sisters, to glorify the name of Christ, to hold up and help one another, and to be about your business. So, Lord, anoint us as we go throughout this night and as we start our week tomorrow, that as you put things before us, we would not let golden opportunities miss, that we would seek in everything we say, think, and do to glorify your name. Use those things, I pray, to bless your people and to bring others to Christ. We know we're in the last days here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.